0: Good morning and welcome to Sunday Digest, a public affairs presentation of FM 99.5 WGAR, Cleveland's country music station. I'm Ken Robinson. On today's edition, many experts have been predicting that computers will bring us closer together. But one futurist feels technology will actually widen the gap between the wealthy and the disadvantaged. So
1: I see at the moment the technology playing into the growing social division uh, between rich and poor and haves and have-nots uh, and that in itself is very
0: troubling. Daniel Bernstein also believes our privacy is being threatened by high tech. Plus, are jobs becoming too complicated for workers? These stories and more on today's edition of Sunday Digest. Computers, telecommunications, and high tech, they're all posing new challenges for the American worker. Gone are the days when secretaries only had to know how to type and take shorthand. Now they have to know word perfect spreadsheets, and windows. Correspondent Doug Whiteman reports that high-tech is affecting a lot of folks in the workplace.
2: The techno-wizards are having no trouble coming up with computers, software, modems, and other gizmos that are faster and do their jobs more efficiently. But sometimes upgrading the technology is a lot easier than upgrading the skills of the people who actually have to use it. In fact, Kelly Services, the office temporaries company, says this skills lag is costing business about $5 billion a year.
3: Technology basically, processor speed and software is doubling about every 18 months. And yet, if you look at the average productivity gains that employers see, it's about 1.4 percent per year.
2: Kelly's vice president in training technology, Dan Rugg, says he expects to see more of what's happened as other new technology has been introduced into the workplace. Employers expecting to see gains instead find upgrades make their workers less productive, at least at first.
3: In other words, they may just be making the mistakes faster but they're not being any more accurate.
2: To keep skills from running a distance second to technology, companies are scheduling more group training for their employees. And Kelly has even come up with new software called Pinpoint that gives pointers on other new software as it's being used.
3: Our tool enables you to go in and select the task that you don't knew, know and very quickly... It will show you how to do that task, uh, and then you can return to your
2: job. Such a product might be useful for someone using a computer at any rung on the corporate ladder, although a survey suggests executives might not bother. Another temp company, Office Team, found bosses are having as much trouble with upgrades as anybody else but office team spokesman Mark Silbert says most of them aren't picking up the how-to's from any special software or classes.
4: When we asked executives from the 1,000 largest companies in the United States uh, where they learned such skills in, in areas like word processing and electronic communications, that more than half of them, 53%, indicated that they got those type of skills from their assistants, from their executive assistants, administrative staff, secretarials role. Silbert says executives are counting on staffers to be their techno-teachers. These are people who may have, uh, because of their their positions sort of been bypassed on, on the information superhighway and, and getting the technical skills, uh, but now it, it's filtered down to them, and the ability to be on the keyboard and doing that type of work uh, is essential. So, uh, logically, they go to the people who know it best and the ones they have a uh, nice relationship with, and it's usually the administrative assistants.
2: This phenomenon is redefining the roles of assistants and secretaries. In many cases, they're now expected to be the first in the office to have a good grasp of new software applications or improvements in the email system.
4: system you're Secretary is sort of fading into oblivion. Administrative assistant, executive assistant. uh, They're getting more and more titles that reflect the fact that they're becoming uh, really right hands, partners. Uh, in, a, in process, in fact, we've discovered in, in studies we've done uh, that they often input on business decision-making.
2: And while some might feel a little bit of temptation to have some fun showing the boss the wrong or long ways to do things, Silbert says employees who show themselves to be helpful and skillful often find it's a good way to get ahead. You become that guru, the person who knows it, the one
4: they ask the questions of. Uh, it's a great way to increase your visibility and in turn enhance your marketability within the
2: company. And he says it's a good way to become indispensable to your employer an important quality in these days of layoffs and downsizings. This is Doug Whiteman.
0: And I'm Ken Robinson. High Tech is also creating challenges for our schools. How should educators train students for the new American workplace? Stephen Brand is the former Executive Director of InVenture Place, the National Inventors Hall of Fame located in Akron. Brand believes schools are making big mistakes by grading students individually and by forcing them to memorize facts and figures.
5: We want children to work together. Then why do we grade them independently? I never understood that. They give me a test, I get the test, but the bottom line is we want to work in teams when we get out of here. Also, memorization, I never understood that. Why do I have to sit down and take a test of things that I memorize if there's too much information in the world to ever remember? What we need to do is give children the tools to know how to explore. How do you use technology, worldwide web experience, internet, things like that, because that's where the information is.
0: Speaking at the Cleveland City Club, Brand says schools should emphasize problem-solving instead of memorization.
5: We need to give children a purpose for their work, Um, not just... Here's where homework, do it. I remember in school I always say, well, why are we doing this? Let's give students something real to work on, real projects. Let's go into the community and solve problems for the corporations in the community. Give them options. Don't say this is what you're going to learn today. Give them the ability to explore what they want. Give them independence. Give them mentors. Not people who know the answers, but people who can guide them through the process.
0: Andy doesn't think computers alone will improve education. A
5: bad teacher or a bad school environment with a computer is, is just as bad as a bad teacher without a computer. So we can't just put them in there and, and just let them sit there. We need to give them the support. There are wonderful teachers in this state and in this country, and we must. We must support them with good professional development and opportunities to teach them how to be mentors and coaches and not to be information to send one place to another. And I also think it's letting teachers take risks and trying things differently. Um, I think that we have institutionalized education way too much. We need to empower them. The business community has been doing it for a long time and those who have done it have been very successful. Um, to have, I also think the corporate community is going to have to come much more to the table. And then corporations need to come out there and say, okay, we've we've made all this money, let's put them back into education, and I'm starting to see that.
0: That's Stephen Brand, former executive director of Akron's InVenture Place, the National Inventors Hall of Fame. And while we're on the subject of education and technology, what's the state of today's educational software? A lot of schools use it, a lot of homes use it. But Ohio State's Todd Finnamore says educational software isn't living up to its promise.
3: You either play a game, and while you're playing the game, you pick up some factoids. Um, Or you are engaged in some deadly boring activity, uh, like drilling on a certain computation. Uh, And then if you get the right answer, uh, you get some song as a reward or a dancing frog across the screen.
0: Finimore says, in many cases, you're better off putting your kid in front of a book.
3: I mean, multimedia can be this wonderful thing for really getting, uh, creating animations and simulations of difficult science concepts, for example, that you couldn't understand otherwise unless you had a chance to actually see it and, and play around with some parameters and explore simulation. So that's the, that's the potential of multimedia, but instead, we see a lot of the multimedia and software being used as just uh, a diversion.
0: Benamora's research indicates that, as far as he's concerned, today's educational software is deadly boring.
3: They're like uh, n- Nintendo games uh, that pretend to have some content with them, but kids don't really learn the content that they're supposed to be learning and doing the game. Um, and then other things are just deadly boring. They're like, uh, they're like worksheets, but they just happen to be on the computer screen. But they're, they're just as deadly boring as any drill and practice that you might do, do on
0: a worksheet. So when it comes to buying educational software, Todd Finnamore of Ohio State University claims it's best to let the buyer beware. I'm Ken Robinson, and we're talking technology on today's edition of Sunday Digest, on FM 99.5 WGAR.
3: I'm going back to a better class of loser This uptown living really got me down I need friends who don't pay their bills on home computers And they buy their coffee beans already ground If you
4: think it's disgraceful that they drink
0: Now we're going to talk with a man who feels high-tech is going to create a lot of losers and winners. Daniel Bernstein is a futurist and investment banker and is co-author of the book Road Warriors, Dreams and Nightmares Along the Information Highway. Well, from looking over your book, I understand you believe the ride on the information highway will be kind of bumpy. Uh, Very
1: bumpy, very important, and uh, going to become increasingly important in all of our lives whatever we may do and wherever we may be, Uh, but there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting and uh, troubling social issues and and business issues along the way. The whole notion of uh, digital technology and interactive uh, television and new telephone communications and the Internet, World Wide Web, all of this stuff is creating an entirely new playing field for For business and for creating wealth and for how businesses are run and how education is conducted and and really much about uh, how home life uh, takes place.
0: Uh, Well, every time we uh, pick up the newspaper or uh, watch the TV or turn on the radio, we're hearing stories about the Internet and the World Wide Web and how it's uh, making our lives uh, more wonderful and uh, better and how it's helping schools and linking all the schools together so that they can uh, get the educational instruction they need. There's a pretty rosy picture out there but uh, there are problems.
1: Right. And and a key element of my view is that the technology is neutral. The technology is here, the technology will advance and continue, but the implementation and the use of it is up to society and up to citizens to figure out what to do with. And right now the trend we're on is that the educated and the affluent are gaining more and more computer power and more and more computer literacy at work and in the home and in the schools. Uh, And the have-nots, the info have-nots, if you will, uh, don't have access to those things. And not only don't have access, they're not being trained and accultured to to utilize them. So I see at the moment the technology playing into the growing social division uh, between rich and poor and and haves and have-nots in this country. Uh, And that in itself is very troubling. There are also significant issues about privacy Uh, about how we uh, relate to the real world uh, as opposed to the virtual one on the Internet Uh, and many, many other issues that uh, are important ones to discuss. Uh, Some of them are areas where government has to get involved and there has to be some legislation. Some are areas where business needs to have more of a social conscience. And some are areas where private citizens, uh, parents, and uh, individuals just simply have to take more responsibility and more moral authority.
0: Well let's start with the poverty issue. Uh, computers are still kind of expensive to get a good one you have to spend over a thousand dollars at least uh, that's out of the pocket uh, out of the pocket books, uh, uh, of many uh, poor people who can't really afford to 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 get on the computer bandwagon and really learn the skills that they need to to know to survive in the workforce
1: exactly uh, We hear as you referenced uh, a lot of this hype that everybody's using the internet well let's let's slow down here a little bit. Uh, The entire profile of current Internet users corresponds almost exactly with people who are in the top 30, possibly 40 percent of uh, affluence demographics in the United States. Home computers, which supposedly have penetrated about a third of American homes, and that's being very generous because a lot of the things they call computers in the surveys are are old computers that are gathering dust in a closet somewhere uh, or or souped-up video games that somebody thinks is a computer. But let's say a third of Americans have computers in their homes. Uh, most of those are in the top third uh, of the affluence bracket in this country. So a, a, a good PC is starts at $1,000 and it goes up rapidly. You've got to have a modem. You've got to have the software to connect to the internet. You've got to have a telephone line. We f- sometimes forget that about 8% of Americans don't even have telephone service in their homes. Uh, You've got to have a free telephone line. Most of the people who are using the Internet actively have an extra telephone line because once you're using it to go online, you can't use it for uh, telephone calls. Uh, So uh, there's quite a few cost barriers right there. It's about $3,000 of acquisition cost to get on the Internet, uh, plus monthly charges. Uh, And that doesn't really take into account the biggest barrier, which is you have to know something about this stuff, and you have to have learned it somewhere. Uh, I don't think the big issue is going to ultimately be access. The companies that make this stuff do want to put it in everybody's hands and in everybody's home. Longer term, the big question is going to be when there is a computer in everybody's home and when everybody is capable of accessing the internet or whatever the internet may come to be, what will different people use it for? And as we see now, uh, the penetration of cable television The ghettos and barrios of America is higher than it is in some affluent uh, white communities. Uh, But there's a propensity to to use television as a babysitter, uh, to use television for a lot of entertainment, uh, music videos, et cetera. And uh, uh, one wonders, as the Internet proliferates, will it become available to all, but some people will be using it for virtual Vegas, and uh pornography and uh so forth and other people will be using its rich educational possibilities to uh access the library of congress and converse with people all over the world and form like-minded professional groups and so
0: forth. One thing I've noticed uh is that uh a computer can be a drain on a household. You mentioned that the many costs associated with uh, owning a computer back when TV came into vogue back in in the early 1950s Your initial expense and your only expense was buying the television. Everything else was free. The the TV, once it was paid for, sat in your home and provided all this entertainment and information. But a computer has to constantly be updated. There are a lot of expenses in updating these uh, computers that are obsolete uh, year after year. And then there are expenses, like you say, uh, using the Internet, the phone line, uh, modems, and, and the whole bit. So it well, seems to be a constant drain on the household.
1: Exactly. Last uh, weekend, I went out with my son. We went uh, grocery shopping. We spent $150. Then we went to the software store, and we spent $250. <laughs> uh, and that was mostly to get stuff that, uh, that a 7-year-old is excited about. Uh, so in a certain sense, there's no uh, no end to it uh, and I think that's a good thing, uh, but realistically, uh, what are we going to do about the people who, who simply can't afford that kind of expenditure? The president says we're going to put an Internet hookup in every school in America. Well, that, that's very nice, uh, but as you may have noticed, there are very few telephone lines in schools today. That's an enormous amount of construction work. Uh, I have no idea in today's fiscal environment in Washington what Possible government initiatives could pay for that. The private sector has done some things. Some of the telephone companies have been willing to wire some of the schools, but more on a on a showcase basis than on a uh, wide scale. So, who is going to pay for that? It's uh, it's not clear, and I doubt it will happen.
0: We're talking to Daniel Bernstein. He's co-author of the book "Road Warriors: Dreams and Nightmares Along the Information Highway." I'm Ken Robinson on W G A R. Uh, you mentioned skills, uh, the skills associated with using a computer. Uh, there, there's a, a fear that people have of computers, and I think it relates back to the, the fact that computers are becoming so much of a part of the workplace that you really have to have skills that are so technical and, and so uh, intense that a lot of people fear and a lot of people are shut out of the workplace. Do you see that as a problem in the future?
1: Well, I see it as a little bit less of a problem of of being shut out, because I think people will have to conquer their fears, and they will be forced to by economic reality, and and, uh, take some training courses and get some exposure. Uh, And once they do that, I think most people will realize that this stuff is is conquerable and it is not uh, an overwhelming barrier. Uh, There is, in my view, an enormous obligation on the part of the manufacturers to make this stuff as easy to use as they say it is. Uh, There's great hype about plug-and-play and user-friendly and and, uh, so forth, but I'm sorry, it's just not that way. I I know quite a bit about uh, computer technology, and every time I buy a new piece of software, I have a little trouble getting it properly installed and, and figuring out how to get the most out of it.
0: Well, the reason I bring it up is because, well, let's say 50 years ago, if you wanted to be a janitor, all you had to do was know how to sling a mop. Right. Now, if you want to be a janitor, you have to know uh, janitorial program uh, 2.0 <laughs> before they'll even let you in the interview. That's right. Um,
1: but I think that is going to become uh, more a part of our educational system, uh, and and uh, people will will not be excluded uh, simply because they don't know. Uh, if you look, if you look what's happening today, however, well, we're, while we're in transition, uh, while we've got a workforce of people who. Didn't come up through an educational system that was training people in how to use computers. Uh, you can see, according to the statistics, people who do the same job, same category, same kind of work, who use computers to do it, and people who don't, there's a more than 15 percent wage differential in doing the same job. Uh, and you can also see real changes in the workforce uh, in absolute terms. You know, our workforce is constantly growing because the population is growing. Uh, And within a constantly growing workforce in the last few years, 600,000 secretarial jobs have been lost uh, because they've been replaced by word processors and sophisticated uh, networking technology in offices. A million middle managers have been cut out of the workforce in the downsizing that's gone on, uh, and much of that has been replaced with technology. Uh, So we're seeing some real jobs vanish uh, because... Uh, technology can do the job better than the people can. Uh, that's good for business; it promotes productivity and it promotes efficiency. But what about the social policy side? What do we do for the people who are being downsized out of these jobs? And there's no clear question, no clear answer to that question.
0: Now, you touched on privacy as one of the issues. Uh, there's a lot of fear that uh, um, computers leave a, a paper trail. Uh, we, we know that email can be traced back, and a lot of email that people send back and forth. Is stored for a long period of of time. Uh, Company email, they say, is scrutinized. Companies often do that uh, frequently. Right. There are a lot of privacy issues here. There have
1: been celebrated cases recently uh, where the courts have tried to decide to whom email belongs and whether an individual employee at a company has a right to privacy in their email Uh, because there have been many cases of uh, of bosses getting a hold of inter-office communications and and, uh, snooping on them or reading them. Uh, through by tapping into an employee's uh, email account. Uh, and uh, the courts uh, again, this is one of the questions that people in the legal system just don't know the answer to, and there's going to have to be a lot of case law uh, before we come to the right uh, conclusions. I suspect uh, I, I come down in this argument a little differently than some other people who are talking about these issues do. There's a great desire to see all this as very apocalyptic if there are no possible answers to these questions. I think if we give our 200-year-old constitutional system uh, a try, we will find that most of the answers do lie there about intellectual property and privacy and so forth. And I would expect that we will ultimately see court rulings that make people's email private uh, in the same way that uh, it's illegal to tamper with people's uh, mail in the U.S. Post Office. and I would also uh, suspect that we'll find some solutions to all the big questions that are being raised about intellectual property at, you know, at such a time as you can download from the internet uh, a new CD or a new video since it's all just digital information uh, or a new book uh, in my case. Uh, if you can download that in two minutes and print out the book yourself at home or, or uh, print out the digits so that you create your own music CD or your own videotape, uh, what's to stop everybody from pirating everybody else's stuff, uh, I think we'll see some some interpretation of our existing copyright patent laws that will make it uh, a crime to do this, and they'll punish some people, and people will get the idea that uh, this is not a business you should engage in. Uh, so I, I don't feel like we have to invent a whole new set of laws to uh, govern these issues. We, we have to interpret the laws we have uh, for the new age.
0: Now, computers are changing the way we look at the real world. Uh, A lot of us spend more time talking to, uh, corresponding with people on the other side of the globe than we do with our own neighbors. (laughs) How do you think uh, computers are... (laughs) I'm one of those people. (laughs) (laughs) I I confess I'm one too. (laughs) Uh, How do you think computers are are going to change our perception of reality? I mean, uh, 50 years ago, people actually did things. Uh, They spent less time watching sports on well, they couldn't watch sports on TV. They participated in sports more than they than they uh, watched sports. Uh, TV came in, and, and now we're a nation of spectators. Computers are in now. What are they going to do as far as our perception of reality?
1: Some people will find so-called virtual communities among their friends and peers whom they may never meet. And we're hearing about people, uh, lonely singles, who've met over the Internet and ultimately gotten married. And we're hearing about parents whose children had diseases to which there were no cures, and they found out about something on the internet. And you know, we're going to hear thousands of these kind of stories of rich, robust possibilities of improving people's life. And then, on the other hand, there's a trade-off. People are going to spend more time indoors. They're going to
0: experience
1: more of the world at second hand. Um, there are very subtle but important philosophical issues.
0: Well, we want to thank you for uh, sharing your vision of the future with us. Thank and you. Our pleasure. Investment banker and futurist, Daniel Bernstein, co-author of the book, Road Warriors, Dreams and Nightmares Along the Information Highway. And that's today's edition of Sunday Digest. Sunday Digest is an award-winning public affairs presentation of FM 99.5 WGAR, Cleveland's country music station. The views and opinions expressed on the show were those of the participants and not necessarily those of WGAR its staff and management. Until next time, I'm Ken Robinson, thanking you for listening, hoping you'll join me next week for another edition of Sunday Digest. Are you tired of your $50 to $100 per month cell phone bill? Well, come on over to Mint Mobile. I've been with Mint Mobile for years, and I get all the talk, text, and data I need for just $15 a month. You've seen their commercials on TV, Just go to their website, pick the best plan for you, and they will send you a SIM card, insert it into your phone, and start saving. You can even keep your same number. Check it out by using this special code, www.hkrmail.com. That's hkrmail.com. And like me, you can get talk, text, and data for as little as $15 a month at Mint Mobile. Welcome to Ken's Corner. I'm Ken Robinson. A study out of Brazil indicates people who sit a lot have a greater chance of premature death from a variety of illnesses. Dr. Roy Bruchinski of University Hospital's Case Medical Center. This particular study out
5: of Brazil in the American College of Preventive Medicine it showed that if people sit for more than three hours a day that you are almost uh, 4% uh, uh,
0: more likely to increase your all-cause mortality. Buczynski claims every hour of sitting negates 15 minutes of exercise. We know that prolonged sitting
5: causes inflammation. And inflammation, as you know, is sort of the beginning of all the cardiovascular, of all the arterial narrowing and constriction.
0: Dr. Buchinski recommends walking about five miles a day to reduce some of the detrimental effects of sitting. Plastic surgery procedures are up 115 percent since the start of the millennium. Dr. Zivi Small says there are certain recognizable trends.
2: The top five procedures in 2015 were breast augmentation, which has been the number one for the past three years, liposuction, nose reshaping, eyelid surgery, and for the first time ever, tummy tuck, which has now replaced facelift as the number five top procedure performed.
0: Yes, Dr. Small says 2015 was the year of the rear.
2: Continues to be the year of the rear with continued growth with over 20,000 derriere-related procedures performed. That averages out, to one every... 30 minutes of every day on average.
0: The American Society of Plastic Surgery says nearly 16 million cosmetic procedures took place last year, so the popularity of plastic surgery appears to be on the rise.
2: Two percent increase since 2014.
0: Thanks for stopping by Ken's Corner, and please subscribe to our podcast series, The Ken Robinson Shows.